This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Carradine. Last week, we did part one of this episode, which was about ads and how they have an inevitable trajectory that ends in pretty terrible things most of the time. However, you don't need to listen to the first episode to understand the second episode. In the second episode, we will be pulling through some threads of that conversation, but we will be looking in a different direction. Instead of looking at uh, a structural perspective on how ads work on the web and why they inevitably do certain things, we're going to be looking at how people use ads. We're going to be looking at how individual users interact with the ad-driven web and what that means for advertisers, users, and the ecosystem as a whole. We will along the way talk a little bit about what providers and producers and content makers can can do along the way in terms of using ads well and using other models than ads, etc. Because we recognize that, well, as a friend of the show, Alushayi, put it to us on app.net recently... Unfortunately, people don't really like to pay for things on the internet, so a lot of sites find themselves in a sort of catch-22. If you put up ads, well, people dislike them, but if you don't put up ads, you're broke and you go out of business. So we'll get to that a little bit, too. The wrap-up of the show will focus really on the responsibilities of all these parties. But the first thing we want to do is open with a bit of a conversation about ad blocking. So... Over the last few years, ad blockers have become more and more popular. We'll drop a link in the show notes that suggests that over 20% of internet users, not quite sure how exactly they're measuring that or what exactly that means, but in this link's context, over 20% of internet users are now using an ad blocker, and that number is going up substantially over time. And Mm -hmm. in the forthcoming release of Apple's iOS for their iPhones and iPads, they're building in support at the Safari level for blocking ads and tracking and so forth. And one of the reasons this has become increasingly popular thing to do is because not only are there ads on pages, which might annoy people to some extent, but ultimately people will look past, but for the sake of being able to target those ads effectively, advertisers have increasingly added tracking data to their advertisements. And they've done this in increasingly nefarious ways, and they use the word nefarious advisedly. These are the kinds of things that not only track you around the web and see, maybe suggest, oh, you looked at this, maybe you want this over there, but they do so in ways that actively avoid and override your ability as a user to turn them off, to escape them, to get rid of them, to say, no, please don't do that. Now, not all of them do, but many do, and because of that, People have increasingly been inclined to find ways to block those ads and those tracking networks and so on. And so the problem comes in that, as Chris mentioned earlier, if websites aren't using ads, they don't get money. This is a one-to-one correlation in most <laughs> in most situations. It's just the way it is. And that's partially because of a failure of imagination. That's partially because of the history of the internet. It was never intended to be a corporate-sponsored thing when it was first 
uh, developed in the early 1990s. Now, you can push the history back even further into the 60s and 70s and look at ARPANET and MILNET and say, like, well, it was actually intended to be a military government complex. And that's <laughs> that's true. That's part of its history as well. But as the World Wide Web that we know it, originally it was intended to be a research network. And so there wasn't really a expectation that this would become the main driver of the whole world economy in about 25 years. No expectation of that. So at the beginning, there were not you know rules set out for or even social expectations set out for this is how you get paid if you run a website. It just didn't happen. There was no trajectory for that because that, that seems pretty presumptuous when you're a few people in a chat room – on IRC relays thinking about, hey, wouldn't this be cool if this worked? How can we make the internet work? You're not really thinking, hey, if there's a massive organization that has about mm, 300 to 500 million people at a time using it, how are we going to get that paid? That just wasn't on anybody's mind yeah, in 1991. You know. Tim Berners-Lee, smart guy, saw it coming later in the 1990s, right? but not in 1991. Yeah. Neither did most anyone else. Now, news, as we mentioned last week, news sites and other things like that did start cropping up and did start using advertising by the mid-1990s. But even there, early on, the basic model for content stuff on the internet early on was through the providers, which is why we all had 10 billion AOL CDs sitting in our houses in mm -hmm. the mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. But as time has gone on, People have tried other models to varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. Case in point, pay models, like paywalls, like, whoops, last week's show notes went out with something that was kind of behind a paywall for some people some of the time. And then there are also things, as we mentioned last week with Ben Thompson and Techery, where it's just a straight pay me, I make content. And so it's funded by uh, subscription, even though it's open to the public. So people have tried to experiment with these sorts of things. But also, as we mentioned in the last episode, the news is a public good <laughs> and it is also not fun. So it's not something that people like paying for, even when... Even when they're benefiting extraordinarily from it, and even when society at large is benefiting extraordinarily from it. Yeah, it's just not something that's super interesting when you could go buy a nice meal at a restaurant, or you could use that 10 bucks a month to purchase a CD, or... I just said purchase a CD. <laughs> no one purchases CDs. Buy a Bandcamp album... Put some money more, on more Kickstarter. Yeah, or or more likely these days, subscribe to a streaming service even. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. People don't are not naturally inclined to do that. The other thing that goes with that is that all the content has largely been commoditized. You can get the same basic information from a dozen other sites that aren't charging you for it. Right. And so at the infrastructure level, at the most basic structural level of how to approach this ads become the default right okay that makes some sense and we we totally grant that and ads as we said at the beginning of last week's episode they aren't bad we in fact think that for most websites ads are probably the only sustainable model well, not all well well I, I, I say i say most 
I should probably say most sites of certain kinds of things. News, for yeah. example. You just you cannot get people to pay when they can get the same information for free somewhere else because what you're really doing is supplying information. Yeah. When you have a value differentiator like the Ben Thompson Stratechery model, you right. can you certainly can and you should and you should look at things like Patreon or other other ways of funding. Right. People do that and right. that's increasingly common among the indie blogger market and that's great. Yeah. But for the news site yeah. Ads are a reasonable thing. So how do we respond to that and do them well as producers, consumers, and advertisers? So users in however many percentage, 20, in some categories, it's as close to 50 as opposed to 20. We'll link another article in the show notes that has some stats broken out by category. Page Fair is a company that does this sort of work so they have some statistics on how people use ad blockers. And so people use ad blockers, and this can be a thing that loses a lot of money for a website because these aren't ads that are blocked. They're actually ads that just are never shown at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not even that they're being shown and they're being not seen, and therefore the company still gets paid money for having served an ad. The ad is just literally not getting served. That significantly decreases the amount of people that publishers can say are looking at their ads. That's a problem because how many people are looking at ads is how you sell more ads and how you get into higher and higher levels of ad selling via networks or direct selling if you're at a high enough level that you can skip the the ad network entirely and go straight to brands and so you need to have people looking at your ads so that you can get more ads so that you can keep have money coming in consumers don't like this and so chris and i have pondered how can an ad sustained web be ad sustained if people aren't sustaining it by looking at ads. Right. And one of the questions that comes up in the broader discussion of this online is the notion that users are ethically obliged not to block ads, to allow them to be displayed on their site. And we're not sure that's quite right, because when you click on a link, you don't necessarily know exactly what the site is going to be or what it's going to be like or what its business model is. And you're not obliged inherently just by the act of going to a website to support their business model or approve of their business model or any other thing. There is a certain degree to which we can analogize by saying when the Sunday newspaper comes, if you don't care about any of the ads that come bundled with it and toss them in the trash, you're not committing an immoral wrong. But the there difference is... is you're also probably paying for the Sunday newspaper. Right. And so by you throwing out the ads, you're not throwing out everything that sustains the paper, although you are throwing out a significant portion of what sustains the newspaper because ads have always been a higher revenue than subscriptions, but at least you're paying them for the subscription. Mm -hmm. When you're blocking an ad off of a website, you are essentially reverting yourself to the 1991 web. This is pure information being transmitted for free based on the notion that you have information and I would like information, <laughs> which is totally fine as an ethical stance. Uh, you know, I may not agree with it. This person may agree with it. It's an ethical stance that can be had. You know, information wants to be free. People are an extreme end of this kind of argument. <laughs> There's They do tend to forget the other half of the quote. <laughs> which is? The, the other half of the quote is roughly... 
but information also wants to be extremely expensive because it's valuable. I'm slightly paraphrasing, but everybody forgets that half of the quote. And information is valuable, and that's why there is an ethical conundrum as a consumer of information on the internet. And I say that as someone who does usually run an ad blocker on most sites I visit because, well, the other half of the ethical coin here is, do I have the right to opt out of being tracked? Mm. And so this is interesting because Chris uses an ad blocker most of the time. I don't use an ad blocker, uh, but I also don't use Facebook or Twitter or online commerce very much. Like that's just not the way that I use the internet. So even though obviously many sites are tracking me just by dint of I'm going somewhere on the web, (laughs) I'm not a power user or even a heavy user of the largest places that these sort of trackers and ad blockers and, and ad showing and ad networks are doing their work. So I am a low income sort of person for websites, um, even before I block ads. So it's to me, seeing an ad every now and then when I go to the New York Times, or when I read through on News 360, another reason that I'm a low income person on ads is that I do a lot of my reading through a specific app and I do it on mobile, which is a completely different discussion, (laughs) mobile ads. So I'm a pretty low impact person when it comes to this particular conversation, whereas Chris does apparently a lot more of (laughs) stuff online, specifically on the World Wide Web, than I do. Right. And one of the possible responses as a user is to unblock ads on sites you care about. So for example, I generally have ads unblocked on Ars Technica because I think they're doing good work and I don't really have the money to allocate for a subscription to support the site. But I think on the whole, they do good work and I'm happy to leave ads unblocked there. But there's a trick to that, which is that if I'm running an ad blocker actively, I then have to go ahead and unblock ads actively on any website that I want to support. So again, another example, I use a site called runningahead.com to track some of my running. And I unblock the ads on that site because I know it's a one-man show behind the scenes and ads are a big part of the way he manages to afford to do it, much less to make any money off of it. It's a side thing for him. Yep. And so there is, I think, a certain degree of obligation as a user to do that, but there is also an opportunity to start distinguishing between the kinds of things you block. And this is one of the things that iOS 9 may bring well on the Apple side. We would love to see Google bring the same to Android, but of course Google's incentives around ads mean it's very unlikely for them to, because Google is incentivized to make sure you can get ads all the places all the time, because that's where Google makes the majority of its money still. Yeah, and the investors still like that they do that. They made $65 (laughs) billion in a day, basically because they said, okay, we'll spend less money doing fun things. (laughs) And so... One of the things that has come up in the last few years is the existence of things like Disconnect Me or Ghostery, and we'll link these in the show notes as well, of course, which basically shut down tracking cookies from third-party sites. So if I land on your random website, it'll block Facebook from tracking me on your random website, and it will block some of the ad networks, and it will block random Google tracking data, etc., It'll still show me the ads on your website. It will just dissociate me from these broad network effects. And what that lets you do as a user is get the benefit of not being tracked, 
and get the benefit of continuing to give some degree of support to the sites you're visiting. Now, there's one other thing we haven't touched on yet, but that has been making its way around the web a fair bit in the last while, which is there's one other big reason why people block ads, and it's that it makes the experience of using websites terrible a lot of times because... Their well, own. ads make the experience of using a website terrible, not blocking them. Yes. No, no, no. That's correct. And that's how I meant it. The existence of ads on the page can be visually annoying, but it can also really slow down the web page. And so there are two big kinds of responsibilities that we think that content providers have, and we'll shortly get to advertisers. But one of the big things that content providers can do, hopefully in cooperation with advertisers, is make their pages lighter and faster because lots of people are on limited data plans and when your site downloads the majority of its weight in advertising well that may be good in the short term for you in terms of the amount of money you get there but it makes it that much less likely in the long term that people are going to be back to your site because it was slow to load and you're also not being considerate of the needs of your consumers your customers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the other thing that sellers and producers of content need to start to concern themselves with is that other thing that they cannot entirely control, which is maybe we should regard the privacy of our consumers and our customers as a valuable thing in and of itself, and therefore start trying to broker deals with advertisers and push advertisers to say, no, we won't serve your ads if you're going to track our users everywhere. And that's a hard sell. Yeah, and it kind of leads towards a death spiral if you think about it. Ben Thompson mentioned this, and I'm going to paraphrase him heavily. If you have difficult ads and your page doesn't load well, the people aren't going to go back, which means mm -hmm. that you're going to have more and more aggressive ads to try to catch the people who do still go there, and then those people are going to leave. And then you're going to have this super bloated website that nobody wants to go to, and then you won't have ad revenue or consumers and then you have nothing. And so there's definitely a strong inertia to say, look, we need people to look at ads. We need them to see these ads. So we're just going to make them pervasive. But in the long term, that's not going to work out. Now, the catch on this is that if everybody is doing these pervasive ads, then <laughs> the playing field is level and the internet is slower and no one... It's level but terrible. And no one wins and no one loses. And so there is well, a... Somebody loses. <laughs> well, in, in the advertiser side, no one yes. wins and no one loses because yes. everybody has this pervasive ads. I think but consumers lose all the things. Yeah, I think it's a yeah. bad experience. But I think that's particularly what's difficult about this is... There is no inertia incentive right now to change because right. everybody has ads. So if you're the one website that doesn't do tracking and you know you may be celebrated by people, but if that doesn't translate into them actually still seeing ads by unblocking your site on their ad blocker, then your website is nicer and you might get more traffic, but you're not getting any more ad views. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a symbiotic relationship between the advertiser and the advertised if this is going to work. If people are going to say, all right, as a publisher, we're going to decrease our tracking on our page. We're going to make sure that ads don't follow you around. As a result of this, please unblock us on your ad blockers that we know you're using so that we can still make money. Or if you prefer, you can donate us some money, which 
we've talked about many times on this show in the last three seasons, people just don't like doing. Right. And there there are potential places for micropayments and startups that might be able to innovate in this space, particularly if people are opting into non-ad networks where it's mm-hmm. you pay a cent or a half a cent for every page or every site that you go to. That stuff could add up, and that's somewhere that a startup could innovate on. But that doesn't exist. and And people have tried it. A lot. Yeah, but, you know, just because it's failed once doesn't mean that the time was right then. Could oh, agreed. be the time right now, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of options and availabilities, and people can still work on this issue. This, we're not just saying, like, it's advertising or death. <laughs> like, that's not what we're talking about here. But as a structure of what's happening right now, you really need to have a symbiotic relationship of transparency saying, like, look, we need ads and we need you. And we're trying to make the experience nicer for you, so please look at our ads. Yeah. And if you get to a point where you can have the kind of relationship, which, again, seems very unlikely, but if you can pull it off where your ads are not the creepy kind that are following people all over the interwebs, you might have a better shot of persuading people that that's reasonable. Now, yeah. and it's to take a because... moment to... It's tough because ad networks are a thing too. Like a lot yep. of publishers are just buying space on ad networks because it's super easy. Yep. And so, yeah. And there's a value there. One of the things that is hard to see in the midst of all of this is that there is a trade off between being tracked and getting ads that are relevant to you. And that trade off is one that. Well, it is difficult for people to know exactly how to make. The biggest problem that confronts people right now is that they largely haven't had a choice. It has Mm. been, get tracked so we can give you the good ads. Well, maybe I don't actually want your good ads. Maybe I just kind of want generic ads that don't know who I am because that's the trade-off I would prefer to make. Mm -hmm. And we really do need a structural level change to enable people to make those kinds of things. And unfortunately... Even initiatives like the one spearheaded by Mozilla for the do not track flag in browsers haven't necessarily been that effective. Some well-behaved players in the space follow it, but the people whom you are most worried about tracking you and doing unpleasant things with your behavior, of course, don't follow that flag. They ignore it entirely. Yeah, unpleasant people are unpleasant. How about that? Shocking. Oh, unscrupulous people are unscrupulous. (laughs) And and we're all astounded by it. No, not at all. So as a user, we think you have a responsibility as a regular patron of a site. And I put it in those words intentionally. We think you have a responsibility as a regular patron of a site to find a way to support them. Maybe that means subscribing if they have a subscription option. Maybe it means unblocking ads. But if you're going to use their content, pay for it in whatever way you can. If you are just popping into a site that you've never been before, I think our stance is basically it's okay to have an ad blocker running because you don't know what's on their page. And frankly, you might be really happy that you have ads blocked on their page because I've landed on pages that should have been relatively innocent and had near pornographic things flashing at me and thought, oh dear. And that tends to make me leave the page very quickly. But even so, I'm happy in a lot of cases that I have an ad blocker running for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it's like locking your doors when you go into a place, uh, a part of town or a new city that you've never been in before. Mm-hmm. It might be totally awesome. It also <laughs> but might you not don't be. Know. <laughs> you have no idea. So, you know, I generally am not as 
as I said earlier, hardcore about having an ad blocker. So I don't have one right now. I have used one in the past, but it's just not as big a deal to me again, because I'm not the sort of person that is frequently trafficking these sorts of sites that are heavily ad supported. So I think there's also something to be said for, as Chris noted, frequency of use and the amount of time and amount of investment that you have in a particular website. And talking about how apps purposefully diffuse this is another conversation entirely, but it's definitely, and we haven't covered ad networks in nearly enough degree, but we could talk about this all season and we don't want to bore you. So just what we want to leave you with is that there are obligations that the advertiser has and that the advertised, the user have. And we think that on both ends, they're being neglected. And so if both of these parties started to act more in the best interest of each other at the same time, we would have a nicer internet. Mm -hmm. And then for the people in the middle, the, the producers relying on the advertising, continuing to find ways to innovate on how you get paid so that you're not purely beholden to advertising or so that the kinds of advertising you do are better for your consumers is a huge win in the long term. It may be hard in the short to medium term, but we think it's a big win, not only for you, but also for the internet as a whole in the long term. Mm -hmm. And and at a later point, we'll come back and we'll talk about Apple News and other similar things going on, especially in the light of Circa's demise. We talked mm -hmm. about Circa in 2.01 and 2.15, and mm -hmm. there are other players in the field, but it's clear that there's a need for that kind of thing in part because of this advertising situation. Right. We're not we're we're out of time, so we'll get back to that a different day. Right. Right. Before you go, uh, we wanted to take a moment and think about some other vexing problem in the world, particularly the ongoing Iran deal that is currently being discussed through Congress and through the country and through the world. And it's a particularly vexing one for people who are concerned about big superstructure issues and individual human rights, because there are still four people who are imprisoned. Iran's laws are not our yeah. laws, and we think some of their laws are profoundly unjust. Right. So there are four Americans imprisoned over, over there, and America would like those people back. And particularly, at least one of them is for religious reasons imprisoned, and one is for news-related reasons imprisoned. And so these are both things that we care a lot about. And so the idea that an Iran deal would not include these four people coming back to America is very difficult. But at the same mm -hmm. time, the stakes of this deal getting torpedoed are also extremely high, which is either a success or failure of the process, depending on how you want to argue about it. That's not what I'm concerned about. The current state is that this is a very difficult situation that would get very much more difficult if the pact doesn't go through, but it also would leave people in captivity. And so there are ethical conundrums on both sides. I don't want Iran with a nuclear bomb, but I don't want to leave people who are in jail for religious freedom stranded over there with now no hope of getting out. So right. it's a very difficult thing, and we don't have a clear solution or a clear answer or an ethical stance 
to put forward. But it's just something that we're thinking about and that we are hoping that the best case scenario would be that those four people are released and that mm-hmm. the Iran does not get a nuclear bomb and attempt to destroy <laughs> Israel. That would be a really great that, thing. That would be the best yeah. case. Yeah. Um, so we hope that that in some way happens. Um, but until then, we kind of watch and wait. And we'll keep praying, especially for Saeed Abedini, mm-hmm. who is the, the Christian held in jail mm-hmm. over there. And Jason Rezaian is the journalist. Our thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show. You can see the full list of sponsors in the show notes. And if you'd like to sponsor us, well, we'd love that. You can set up a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give directly at, wait for it, cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Oh, uh, Yeah. and and you should know we've committed as we've been thinking through this we're going to give 10 percent of any support we get to the internet archive to help what we think is an underfunded and undervalued organization we talked early in season zero about link rod and things going missing online and the internet archive is really the only group out there trying to make that not Mm -hmm. be a thing so we're going to support them the song at the beginning was even fireworks by pushing static which was used by permission please don't use the song without permission you can find show notes for this week's episode at winningslowly.org slash 3.02 and you can follow us on twitter or app.net at winning slowly or subscribe to our facebook page until next time thanks for listening That seemed pretty presumptuous when you're a couple of dudes sitting around in various chat rooms with, you know, I'm going to rephrase that. (laughs) Blooper reel. Yeah. Actively unblock web app. I have to, good grief. (laughs) It's going to be a rough editing episode. Uh, You're just giving me more practice. I see how it is. Well, you've given me plenty, so no worries.